What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 18 of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero, and alongside me, as always, is Levin Black. And Levin, today's a good day. <laughs> it's always a good day when you get to talk to a member of the all-decade team from the 1990s, a four-time Pro Bowler, the 49ers' all-time sack leader, Mr. Bryant Young. Brian, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. It's a uh, it's a thrill to uh, be a part of your programming and uh, looking forward to uh, the next uh, hour or so. And just to go behind the curtain a little bit here, I reached out to Brian about a week ago and he said that he would love to do it and come on and he was all for it and we're so grateful. And I got to tell you, I was a little nervous because we were a week away and I have talked to a lot of athletes in the past who say that they'll do something and then a week later something comes up or something happens and you don't hear from them. Sure enough, at eight o'clock, right when you were supposed to come on, I get a message from you that you were all in. Unbelievable work by you. I uh, appreciate it. I'm trying to be a man of my word. Uh, it's not always you can meet the uh, request of uh, many. You know, if I, I've had the reverse happen to me where I've committed <laughs> to a show and and uh, the date shows up, I get no call, I get no email to, to, for the link. And so it, it happens, you know, uh, but I try and be a man of my word and, and meet some of the requests for sure. I guess I'll start with a simple one that I always like to ask defensive linemen. Who is the one guy when you were playing that you wanted to get a hit on? I, I feel like I might know the answer just based on the history of the Niners back then, but who is the one quarterback you always wanted to get to? All of them. <laughs> All of them, for sure. Uh, but, you know, often the, the ones that you saw often, those are the ones you wanted to get to most. And then those that were in the, the you know, your, your conference as well, like the, the Green Bay's, Brett Favre was always one that was really crafty, uh, can really elusive, uh, better than you wanted him to be. He got great legs, um, but can, can escape. And so you definitely wanted to get him down and get a good hit on him. But I'll, I'll say all the quarterbacks, you know, anytime you get a chance to rush the quarterback, <laughs> you want to make sure you get a hit on, on each one of them. I've always wanted to ask you this because you get drafted in 1994 and you go to the super team, the team that's all business. They're mad because the Cowboys have beaten them two straight years. Jerry Rice is on a mission. They're signing everybody in free agency. Like you come in as a rookie did you have any idea what you were getting into at that point? Um, I had an idea for sure. I, I knew that this was a really good team. It's not often to be drafted that high and go to a good team. And so I was one of the very fortunate ones, the blessed ones, I, I should say, to be able to uh, be in a position like that. And so um, I knew what was at stake. I knew that, you know, coming in at the seventh pick, um, my services were required. You know, it was uh, the year, really the big free agency year, and uh, things kind of took off there. And a lot of guys were acquired during that offseason, and uh, we had a good draft. And so the guys that, that were drafted and the guys that came in as free agents, along with the guys that had already been there, um, you know, we were, we were needed at each position. Every guy was accountable. And so that was a role to play for each guy. And so I was, I was uh, very, very excited about the role that I had and and, um, and man it, it just took off you know we had a, a really good start had a bump in the road you know uh, against Philly and then things turned uh, for us uh, against Detroit and and then the rest is history we take a, a big run and then we're in the playoffs and we win the Super Bowl and so it was a thrill it was a great ride um, and so I was just honored to be a part of that team you mentioned the Philly game let me just jump in real quick Levin sorry to jump you 
Steve Young always talks about that game because he gets pulled by Seifert. And he has said that he wanted to fight somebody on the sideline when that happened. Do you remember that? And do you remember how pissed off Steve Young was at that point? Oh, absolutely. I think we lost like 40 something, maybe three or something like that. Um, 41 to three, something crazy like that. But it was the game was out of reach. You know, we came off a bye and you think we'd be rested, but we just we just for some reason didn't click. You know, Philly, they came in and they, they were prepared. You know, they they made way more plays than we did that day. And it was just a frustrating day um, for everybody. But for Steve Young to be the quarterback and not be able to finish the game um, in that manner, um, to have some fight, even though if the game was lopsided, he still wanted to be in there and have a fighting chance. But, you know, because the game was it was out of reach. I think uh, pulling him and being smart, not getting them uh, hurt was this, was the best thing to do. I think George made the right call in that. Steve was pretty frustrated by that. And and who wouldn't want to be in there? You know, you don't want to come out and, and you want to fight, you know, with your brothers to the bitter end, no matter how, how lopsided the score is. Now, something I've always wanted to ask you, you won the Super Bowl in your rookie year. It was the Niners' fifth Super Bowl win in 12 years. Were you able to fully appreciate that Super Bowl I would assume you you thought you had to have you were going to win more in your career and you know it never really materialized so as a rookie were you able to really take all that in you know what I, I did I, I, and this is no comparison but in some regard it, it, it somewhat is you know um, I know the stakes are a lot higher in the NFL and but we had a chance to you know play for championships in college and knew what was a stake and knew that everybody each week were coming for us and and so your best was needed and so we played long seasons and and I felt like uh, in college it prepared me for a long season and to play uh, at a championship caliber uh, play and so uh, coming in that year I knew what was a stake I knew what what, they, what had been lost in previous years. Um, and so I didn't have the struggle, but I can appreciate what the struggle was. And so I understood the magnitude of, and the importance of, of that year. And so, yes, I do appreciate it because I played with guys that did not have a chance to go to a Super Bowl, uh, i.e. Ricky Jackson, uh, you know, who had a great career and, um, you know, it was his first Super Bowl and many other guys. And so... You know, I, I didn't take that for granted, just knowing uh, what was at stake, knowing that, it, you know, you could play your whole career and never get a chance or an opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. So I didn't take that for granted. I definitely appreciated that year. Um, but in the same regard, um, you, you hope every year is that way and uh, you have a chance to go back and, and repeat what you, the success you had in that first year. But you, you've quickly found out it's pretty tough, you know. And uh, so, um, but definitely I do appreciate it. So before that game, supposedly Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders had a little bit of a conversation before the Super Bowl. Some people say that they came to blows. Some people say it didn't get that heated. It was a long time ago since 1994, Brian. You can tell us the truth. Did Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders fight before the Super Bowl? They did not physically fight. Okay. However, there were some words exchanged. I will, I think this is well documented, you know, um, you know, Jerry felt like uh, he put his neck on the line to extend the curfew during the week. And it was a Wednesday or something like that. And it was a regular week. Had we been home, you know, the curfew would have been quite different. Wouldn't have been the curfew, but we're on the road. We treated it like a road game, but Jerry felt like uh, he put his neck on the line and, and not everybody adhered to uh, the, the, the rule. 
And uh, so Jerry was pretty pissed off about it. And, and uh, you know, he voiced his opinion and Dion voiced his opinion as well. And <laughs> there were some words, but there were no blows were exchanged. You know, I think uh, there was a mutual respect in terms of that. You know, you can have a disagreement, but never get into a physical altercation. And so that's what you had. Now, what was it like watching those two go at it in practice? I mean, like we said, it was your rookie year, but you see two of the very best to ever do it going at it during practice. And that was, you know, Dion MVP, all that. It, it was, uh, it was something to watch, you know, um, each guy were, each guy was very, um, very critical about how they, in detail to how they practice. Um, they took their craft very seriously. Um, it's, it's no wonder when you look at guys like Jerry and Dion, um, when they go out and break so many records, uh, why they do the, do the things they do. Well, when you look at what they do behind closed doors, uh, they, they practice, you know, with, with a lot of, um, with a lot of, uh, pride. And so, uh, it was, it was awesome to see guys like that compete in practice. And there was some friendly battles and it was iron sharpening iron. And it was just great to see, uh, two guys, uh, one of the, one of the best guys at each position, uh, go at each other and uh, make each other better. Dion only ended up staying the one year. It's it's kind of well known that he and Jerry, let's just say, weren't the best of friends. Do you think they could have coexisted on the team for more than one year? Or do you think this was always kind of just the, we're bringing in Dion to try and get the ring and then we'll figure it out afterwards kind of a thing? You, you know what? I think, I think um, you know, that season, it was what it was. And I think they could have it coexisted. They did for a year. I don't know if that that those uh, that they uh, when they had the exchange of words uh, ruined the relationship, but you know sometimes you, you you know brothers have disagreements and you move forward, you know you make up, and that's just what what it was at that time. And so I think had the money been right, um, you know certainly Dion would have uh, hopefully have been there if the money was right for him. But he had a pretty lucrative deal in Dallas, and uh, you know he had a chance to go there and, and have a pretty good career as well. Now, that's two Hall of Famers you played with. I want to talk about two other hall, potential Hall of Famers likely to go in at some point that you played with later in your career. First, I'll start with Frank Gore. You played, I think, his first three years were your last three years. How crazy is it to you to see him still out there? I think he's now older than you were when you retired. I think so. This is uh, Frank's 16th year. I think that's, and uh, so it's, uh, it's just remarkable. Uh, Frank Frank was an old throwback player. You know, as young as he was coming into a league, in a league, he, you know, he was an old throwback player. You know, it wasn't anything fancy about his game. He grind. He was always grinding. Uh, he worked hard. He cared about what you know what was it, what was important, and he asked the questions. Um, and so it's no it's no wonder that he's one playing this long, and then two uh, just you know still having the wills to get it done. Um, so, you know, that guy cares so much about uh, the game, uh, so much respect for the game. And he just he just loves the game and he loves playing. Uh, so I'm happy for him. Uh, he was a great teammate. I wish we had many more years together. Um, and so I'm just really thrilled for for him and, and what he's been able to accomplish. You know, Levin, you talk about. I was going to jump in real quick. Just the other one who you played your final year was his rookie year and you could potentially be Hall of Famers in the same class as you're both semifinalists. I wanted to ask you, what was your first impression of Patrick Willis when he showed up? Um, just an awesome talent. 
I mean, just a guy that that was just freakish in nature, um, was fast, uh, could cover your number three receiver. Um, he could make the the big hit. Um, he can make you right if you you were able to, you know, if he, he weren't in your gap. And so, uh, just a really uh, talented guy. And so, you know, Patrick was uh, so talented. You know, I think you know coming in his first year. Um, you could you could see him trying to assert and, and put himself uh, and make himself uh, one of those long-term players and the staple for the organization. So he came in, worked hard, did what he was asked to do, and did it well. And uh, man, what an exciting player to watch! I just wish I had many more years with him. Um, but uh, love playing with him. Had a great career, and uh, I wish him well moving forward for sure. So as Levin mentioned, you are a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like, what is that like? Do you think about it or do you at this point now you've been here before? So you're just waiting for the process to to move along. You know, uh, it's it's uh, quite an honor. Not, I won't take it for granted at all, um, you know, to be in this position, uh, not only once, but now my second time as a semifinalist. Um, you know, it, it took a while to get to this place. And, um, you know, I didn't know if it ever happened. And, and I hope it does, you know, moving forward. But I just have so much respect and regard for the ones that came before me, uh, that paved the way, the pioneers of the game, uh, the one who set the precedence uh, for each position. Um, it was just, it was just uh, uh, a, a quite an honor to be mentioned in the same breath as one with the guys who are in this, this list currently and the guys that are have already been enshrined to be uh, able to to be mentioned and be possibly a candidate uh, to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. It's it's quite an honor. And so I'm 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 in I'm in shock and awe and uh, just honored to be a part of this this group and this uh, this uh, franchise. Now, having been a semifinalist before, do you do you have any sense of like feeling almost helpless in? trying to get yourself actually in the door as a Hall of Famer? Because I, I would assume pretty much anybody that gets to the point where they're a semifinalist, they're already a, a great player, and they would have to think they're deserving. So, But at the same time, you don't really get to be part of the process. Do you have any sense of being helpless in it? You do. You, you do have uh, a sense of uh, being help, uh, helpless. And, and uh, so you hope you know, that your body of work and, and uh, what you did on the field uh, was enough. And, and sometimes, you know, people don't take into consideration some of the other things that people don't put as much importance on. And so those things need to be talked about as mundane or unimportant as they may seem, the important things uh, need to be talked about. And when you have people that can advocate for you in that regard, um, you, you're appreciative of that because sometimes the important things can get lost. And when you have people that make those arguments and may bring them up, uh, you, you see why, you know, some people that it took a while for them to, to be where they are, are warranted to be in a position to be enshrined. So, um, you know, like I said, I wish every person that's, uh, that's part of this list, uh, I wish them well and, and they're, they're well deserved. And, and uh, if it happens for me, it, it wasn't just because of me. It was so many other people that were a part of this, this process, although I did the work, um, um, but certainly, you know, uh, so many people supported me and helped me along the way that, and they're a part of this whole thing as well. And so uh, if it happens for me, they're, they're part of this whole deal. What are those important things that you would want that advocate to mention? 
Uh, you know, just when you look at, um, you know, just the, the hard down, you know, how you played the run, uh, how you fit in the run to allow other players to make the plays that they're supposed to make, keeping guys uh, on the line of scrimmage um, and allowing the safety or the linebacker or the corner to, to be in their fit as opposed to being a freelance player, you know, I believe in uh, being effective and, and taking a shot at times, but, but being disciplined within the scheme of the defense. And I think uh, when you look at it that way, not only uh, playing that way, but also just the dirty play, the, the, the hard down, just fighting that, fighting the double team and things like that. Those things go unnoticed at times. And then, you know, when you look at the balance between rushing the passer and playing the run, you know, um, I don't think, you know, that playing the run is, is uh, it's probably not as sexy as, 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 as rushing a passer. We know that sacks, you know, they attract and they, those are the money makers. Uh, that's important. But, you know, you have to stop the run to rush the passer. And I think that's just as important. So those things need to be talked about. Uh, the balance, you talk about, um, you know, just a complete player. You want to you want to make sure that the argument is there for is the player is he, he one sided player or is he impactful in both ways the run and the pass you know is he a first second third down player and does he impact the game uh, in both manners. I used to work with a guy at NBC, Chris Sims, who always talks about how especially defensive tackles, but D linemen in general, can do a million things and basically he called it f the whole play up and not get a single stat on the stat sheet. Yeah. Like when someone looks at your career and says, is Bryant Young a Hall of Famer? Well, he had, you know, 89 and a half sacks and he made four Pro Bowls. That is such a small part of your career. How do we evaluate defensive linemen and guys like you? Because that doesn't tell how good of a player you were just by looking at sacks and Pro Bowls. It, it doesn't. I don't think it paints the whole picture. And, and sometimes uh, that's not always the case. And that's not always um, – it doesn't all the Pro Bowl doesn't always ID the the season that you had, and sometimes that's not it's a little misleading. And uh, you know, again, that's not to take anything away from the other players that that may be deserving. Um, and then you know, you look at how how it's voted on, um, and then sometimes the season it plays into that. You know, when you're out there in front and then the team is doing well, you know that puts you out there a little bit more. And so you have a microphone in your face, you're more visible and, and uh, the attention is there. And so those things are into take, have to be taken into consideration. And then, you know, uh, for me as a, as a, as a, as a, a former player, I wasn't the most boisterous guy. I would rather not say a word and just whip your tail the whole game. And you come out after the game and say, man, great game, as opposed to trash talking and tell you what I'm going to do and don't do a thing. So I'm going I'm to walk quietly with a big stick and earn your, respect, have to earn your respect during the course of the game and get that handshake and say, great game. Now, I did want to ask while we're talking about Hall of Fame type stuff, with you being a semifinalist with Patrick Willis, what would it mean to you to go in with another player who played their entire career with the 49ers? Would that, does that mean a heck of a lot or just kind of you just want to get in? You know what? It, it would be great if, if that happened that way, uh, for sure, to, you know, um, for a guy that I played with for a year and then him to go on to have the success he had. If it happens that way, man, that would be, be awesome. But we, we all know that it don't always happen that way. And so, um, you know, um, in due time, it, it hopefully it happened for one or both of us. You mentioned before about how your career 
is not just a credit to you. It's a credit to every coaches you've had, players, teammates. I always want to ask this to retired players. If you could suit up for one more game, would you suit up for that game with your high school team, your college team, or one of your 49ers teams? Man, that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I mean, because, oh, man, now I'm going to go way back. Okay, because. Well, I'll say high school, we, we, we made the playoffs, but we were, I think we underachieved. We had some talent, but we didn't some, for some reason, we didn't maximize all of our, our, our gifts on that team. And so um, it was, we're, we're, you know, a playoff team, but we just couldn't get over the top. Now college was special. Our senior class, our, our 94 class was, was so, so special. And uh, man, uh, um, just the relationships we had, it was, a, it was a true, I mean, just brotherhood, iron sharpening iron. Um, and, you know, to this day, we, we stay in touch. Um, and so you wish you had some of those games that you can go back and, and uh, redo over. For sure, that Boston College game, you know, back in 93, um, you know, you wish you could do, it, do that over. Um, but, you know, um, it's a toss. We had so many great teams in, in uh, San Francisco as well. You know, you pick a year and um, for sure the, the, the 94 season. Um, and we had some playoff runs as well that you wish you can go back and, and, and play over again with those guys. That was a really nice way of not answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? <laughs> you know, you brought up Notre Dame. I got to ask you a current event question that Notre Dame is very involved in. There's the whole – I mean, it's, it's a messed up season to begin with. But there's the whole Ohio State only has five games. They're talking about changing the rules in the Big Ten so they can get the sixth game, being the conference championship. If that were to happen, they would likely get in the college playoffs at the expense of another team. And the team a lot of people are throwing out there is Notre Dame as a potential team that could fall out. Do you think it's fair in that scenario for Ohio State to get in at 6-0 and when Notre Dame is 10-0 and if that were to happen? That's that's a hard one. I was just talking to a friend about that the other day. Just number of games played, and they're the fourth seed right now. And um, man, you know that's hard. You know, for a team to be ten and zero versus six and zero, and and the battles that they 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 fought through. Um, you know, there's there's got to be a point system, or how you, how do you weigh that? Um, and so you got to be fair to the teams that started on time, and then also. You know, it's no fault of those teams that started late, um, you know, that, that they didn't play as many games, but they're doing well. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you have to take that into consideration. You know, although they can't control it, they play however many games they had. Um, but at the same time, you got to be fair to the number of games played and the number of wins. And so uh, my, my hat will go to Notre Dame for the team that won or the team that won the most games. Now, as somebody that would have if it existed when you played at Notre Dame, how much do you wish the playoffs existed when you were playing? Wow, a lot. You know, um, <laughs> you know, there were some times, some, some, you know, when we came toward the end, uh, it was all about the voting, and sometimes the voting didn't go as planned, and um, and so it, it, it was what it was, and so you, you hope that, uh, you know, you wish you would have had a system like that back in the day, and you could have just played it out. You know, you lose, and you had nobody to blame but yourself, and and uh, so I, th- I like the system. I like what they're doing now. 
Uh, I think it gives each team uh, today a fighting chance to win a national championship as opposed to it being bordered on by writers and coaches. Yeah, we don't like those writers, right? They're the worst. No, the writers are good. <laughs> I'm not bad the writers. The writers are my friend. You know, the good and the bad ones. You know, they write good, they write the bad. So. Just generally, do you think there are more people out there that like Notre Dame or hate Notre Dame? I think it's both. You know, they're, you either love Notre Dame or you hate Notre Dame. And uh, there's no in-between. And so I, I, I could never figure it out. And, you know, um, it is what it is. You know, I, I think I think for some reason, and I'm not saying this, and, you know, the haters are gonna, probably going to hate that I said it, uh, but when Notre Dame is doing well, man, college football is, is different. And uh, that, that's just the trend that I've noticed. And so it's just good to see Notre Dame having a great year. Uh, credit to, you know, Brian Kelly and his staff uh, for the years of recruiting and the culture that he's built there. Um, and then people behind the scene, how they have supported uh, the student athlete from A to Z. This is a different team than when you look back and compare them to the team that played Alabama in the national championship game. I just feel uh, the, the matchup, if it were to happen today, um, the score would be quite different. And so, um, so but my hat's off to, to this team and and I uh, really wish them well. Now, let me ask you, as somebody from the state of Indiana who had multiple roommates in college from Mishawaka, South Bend area, what's the biggest rivalry for Notre Dame? Purdue. It was <laughs> Purdue. In, so, so Purdue was in state and, and for Indiana for a minute, you know, um, and, you know, Michigan, and then they cut ties. And, and uh, But the USC one has been going for a long time. And so there are a number of the USC, Michigan, and, and Michigan State as well. Um, so I would say the longest running one has probably been USC, I believe. Just so you're aware, those people never wanted to give Purdue the credit. They always said, you know, that, that's the one that we always win. Who cares? You know, it was always Michigan or USC to them. And, well, they kind of had a point except for a few years stretch there when Drew Brees was playing. But. Oh, heck, man, <laughs> Drew Brees. And I'll tell you what, man, it was – Drew Brees was lighting it up in college. As is now. Did you just find a way to get Bryant Young to say a nice thing about Purdue Levin? <laughs> like, was that your whole goal for this, for that line of questioning? <laughs> no, I actually did not expect the answer, Purdue. I'd like to move things over to the current Niners if I could, because the 49ers are playing Washington this week. And the big storyline is going to be Alex Smith playing against his former team in the season where he's coming back from a just absolutely horrific injury. And I'm, we're talking to one of the few people on the planet who actually have an idea of some of what Alex Smith went through because you also broke your leg in a similarly gruesome fashion. Have you had any communication with Alex Smith at all about that or coming back from that injury or anything? Uh, you know, uh, Alex was um, probably, he was sequestered, but I did reach out and I texted him and, and sent him a text. And, and of course, you know, through uh, social media have communicated. His wife is on social media, so you know, sent the message here and there, and and uh, words of encouragement, and you know, I was rooting for him. Um, but boy, what a story! Uh, and I can identify with Alex. Uh, you know, mine was similar but quite different in the fact that Alex, you know, had some complications and um, his life was in danger. Not only losing his leg, but his life was in danger. And so to overcome those two and to be where he is today, my hat is off to Alex. I always knew that Alex was one tough and um, he had a warrior mentality. 
but to see him persevere through something like that, um, I'm just elated for him. Um, what a what an awesome story. Um, just a just a comeback story. He has my vote for comeback player of the year for sure. Oh, God. just give it to him now. Like just to even come yeah, back. Yeah, and and yeah, no doubt. And and I, you know, that, there's a number of guys that I could think of. You know, uh, Jason Barrett. You know, his comeback story and you know him overcoming adversity and some of the setbacks he's had in his career and coming back and playing a great a good year. And and uh, Ben Roslinberger, uh, who you know had a injury and and didn't finish the year and just coming back and having a phenomenal year. But in that matchup, you know, Alex and his his team just they just you know did a great job, and Alex came through. He toughed it out, and and but those guys too are 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 definitely deserving of that award. But for Alex with his two year absence and then being able to come back and play the way he's played uh, is just so phenomenal. Um, and my hats off to him. I'm rooting for him. And uh, again, he has my vote. You also won the Comeback Player of the Year Award back in 1999. What does that award mean to you? Was it more like a sense of relief to know that you got all the way back? Or is that like an award that you you proudly display and that's up there with any other thing that you ever had in your career? Uh, You know, it's it's up there. You know, that's that's a very important award for a lot of reasons. Um, You know, like I mentioned my career was in jeopardy as well, and and I had uh, a setback. I was in jeopardy of losing uh, my leg as well, and um, so I had some complications. I was in the hospital for 17 days, and and again, nothing like Alex, you know, having a, an infection and almost you know losing his life, but but certainly did have some some complications. But to overcome that, um, and and the rehab in the all season, and do some of the things that that really tested, you know, my, my will to play and my love for the game. It's an award that I hold up in high regard for any of the national awards uh, for a lot of reasons for that. And then, you know, to just um, for, for all that you put into the game to overcome adversity. And so it's, uh, it's one that I, that I really, um, uh, it's important to me. And, and, um, and, and so I'll never forget that award. So, Absolutely. I hold that, that award in high regard for sure. You know, people say, oh, Bryant Young had a broken leg. He came back. Alex Smith comes back. Like for us, you're gone and then you come back. But can you give people an idea of what you actually go through to get from the point where you're injured, you have this injury, and then you actually get back on the field? Like, I don't think people fully understand what you have to go through to get to that point. Yeah. So with mine, I had a tip fib fracture. And so, um, so the, that night, I was supposed to have surgery the next day, and then um, I had um, to be rushed to emergency surgery to uh, take care of some of the elevated pressure in my, my leg after the surgery. So that they had a titanium, I had a titanium rod inserted in my tibia, and uh, that stayed in there. They couldn't get that out. I played with that in my leg for, for nine years. And to this day, it's still in there. Um, and so to to not be able to walk for almost four months um, and kind of relearn, you know, some of those things, some of the basics, balance and all those things, you know, it was pretty gruesome. Um, just it challenged me every day to the core, um, just some of the things that I had to do and endure. It, it really was hard. You know, a lot of people, uh, and that's not to take away from any, anything um, from other injuries, but, you know, other people go through some of the similar things, but to have uh, 
one to have that type of pain <laughs> and then two to, to have that type of rehab you know it was uh it was not for the faint of heart for sure and um definitely tested you know my my love for the game but you know my pride uh for sure it was a challenge for me um i think you know having the support of the fans my teammates for sure and then uh, one to be in around in the locker room it was it was definitely motivation for me and i had a great support system in my family as well so um, but it was a lot that went into that. You know, it was a long, long process. And I, I, I and quite frankly, I, when I came back, you know, I went from November 28th, I think it was November 30th or something like that, to not playing anything all the way till the first week of that next season against Jacksonville. And um, and so uh, it was it was foreign to me not not having any preseason. Um, or any practice live and then having one practice before I go out and play a live action game. Um, so I was real, you know, kind of timid and tender and still learning and, and a little shell shock. So there's a lot of things that I had to overcome, not only physically, but the mental aspect of it too. Um, just to make sure that, you know, when I plant and cut, you know, it was going to be okay. Um, when I was around a pile, if I got touched, I was going to be okay. Um, and so a lot went into that, you know, just the, the mental and the physical uh, rehabilitation. But I really didn't start feeling like myself until midway through the season. Um, although I was, have, I was off to an OK start, I wasn't off to a great start. Um, and then uh, I hit another gear that second half of the year. And then I, that's when I really felt like myself in that first year back. And so um, but to, to be able to win comeback player of the year and, and come back and play at a high level after a, a pretty bad injury like that. So much went into that. And uh, it was just honored to, to be able to uh, come back and, and play the way I did. You were on the team in 1999. It was the year after the catch two. the team was coming off a 12 and four year expectations were sky high. And then Steve Young gets hurt and everything kind of crumbled without the quarterback. So, that kind of parlays into this year's team with the Niners where expectations were sky high. Jimmy's been hurt. And so as a player in the locker room, what is it like when your quarterback goes down? Wow. Um, it, it's, uh, it's tough. You know, when, when your quarterback is obviously out, out, you know, as opposed to, Oh, he got a sprained ankle. He's going to be out for two or three weeks. But when he's out, out, it's like, Oh shoot. Okay. Uh, let's, let's hope that, you know, this guy that we brought in, you know, he's up for the task and um, it's, it's, you know, it's quite different. And so you, you don't lose hope, but, but, and you try to remain hopeful and for sure you, that's why you have depth. Um, but certainly I think for Jeff, um, you know, it, it was a learning curve for him in that first year when he came in and played. And, um, but when he got his feet under him, and he and he and he grasped that offense, and he started owning it. Uh, it was quite different there on out. So this year's 49ers happened to take a defensive tackle in the draft, Javon Kinlaw. Some people are critical of him, but I think he's looking better and better each week. When you see the Niners take a D tackle in the first round, do your ears kind of perk up a little bit, and you kind of keep an eye on them? You know, I I do. I look for any you know any tackle that goes high. I'm like, okay, what. What's, what is this young man about? And, uh, but certainly, um, you know, I think he's had a good year um, and he's, he's been gradually getting better. 
Um, he's a different player. He's not, he's not uh, Aaron Donald um, in terms of his twitchiness and his quickness. Um, you know, he's a strong player, uh, a little bit of a strider. Uh, he's got length. Um, and so he's really, he's really finding his, his niche in the game. And I think each week he's gotten better. And some players, you know, they develop at a different pace than others. And I think um, he'll be better you know, for having gone through a year like this. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to what he what he what, what he do in this uh, in this in this career. Now, the guy who is supposed to be next to him has been out with Nick Boza, who wears your number. How much as a defensive tackle does that having a dominant defensive end help somebody like Kinlaw, who's a rookie? You know, I think uh, I think having the dominant inside guy helps an in, uh, edge player, if you ask me, um, <laughs> because um, now the revert because you could be a great outside rusher, but you're if you got a if you got a quarterback that's stepping up in the pocket and that middle pressure isn't changing, right? That that fence line in the middle is not being pushed back. Um, that edge rusher is going to have a hard time, you know, winning over the top because this quarterback's just going to step up, be comfortable, and dump the ball off down the field, whatever. And so I think a, a good inside player can make a good outside player better. You know, it can make his job easier when you got good inside pressure and a guy that does, that's dominant that could push the pocket. And you don't have to be fancy dominant, but you have to be effective pushing the pocket and getting – uh, that quarterback off the spot to move to the side, to step step back a little further, but don't allow him to step up in the pocket. But I think a good inside guy can make a, a, an end, uh, quite frank, quite uh, frankly, uh, even better for sure. Yeah, how many times did we see that last year where Bosa or Ford would come flying off the edge, the quarterback tries to step up, and there's DeForest Buckner just as a giant wall there, and the pocket just utterly collapses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when you, when you have the Twin Towers, and you go back to last year, the, the Twin Towers, and, you know, they're effective inside. That quarterback is, you know, he's like, he's either staying back at his drop spot or he's going to be trying to bail out to his left or right. And there, when, when you have good ends that, that can take, you know, uh, advantage of those opportunities, you know, that, that's a good front plan right there. Take us back to this spring when you heard DeForest Buckner trade news. What was your reaction when you heard that he was actually being traded? Surprised, but I understand. Okay, surprised in the fact that um, I thought he'd be a guy that would be uh, uh, potentially uh, get a long-term deal. Uh, but I can understand the, the business side of it, you know, having uh, a guy that was two guys that were coming up on long-term deals, uh, multi, uh, multi-year deals. And so it's like, how do you how do you strike the balance? Well, you can you have value in a trade, and then you you can go get a, a younger, uh, less expensive uh, defensive player. Um, but but for sure, make sure that you know he's as equally or better uh, than what you're trading away. And so, um, uh, but no one expected the injuries that they would have uh, this year, losing their ends and. Uh, Bosa, Thomas, and then um, uh, D Ford as well. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I'm going to put you on the spot because do it. I'll, I'll give you the out if you want the out. But if you're the Niners, what would you do next year for quarterback? You, you know what? Um, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> my out is I'm not the I'm not the coach. I'm not the GM. 
<laughs> well, but see the fact that you couldn't no, or didn't answer here, the question right away. That's the no, answer. No, here, no, here's, you know what? Uh, I'm going to tell you like this, a healthy Garoppolo, a healthy 49er team is a winning team. Okay. It's a winning team. So I, I think, I'm not sure what his record uh, is, uh, you know, as a starter, um, but certainly when he's been healthy, um, he's been effective and he's, he's won. Um, and some would, you know, think otherwise that, you know, it's time for them to move, move on from him. But I think, you know, um, you gotta, you gotta see where he is after he comes back and he's healthy and then make a decision from there. I think it's, I mean, it's obvious that quarterback is treated different from other positions, right? If you're a defensive tackle and you're either struggling to play well or struggling to stay healthy, they replace you. It's not a big deal. They bring somebody in. They'll work guys out during the week and bring it in. Sure. But if you're a quarterback, well, well, we, we, we don't treat that like other positions. We, we can't just replace you, you know, just like that. We got to have a couple meetings about it. There's got to be a ton of media speculation. If it was any other position on the field, yeah. I don't think there would be a question of whether or not to change quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, there's so much thought that goes into that position. Like this guy is like, you study this guy. Is, is he the guy to lead your team? Not only from a, you know, personality standpoint, but most importantly, a talent standpoint. Is he a good leader on the field? He's going to make the plays that that he's supposed to make that you want him to make in that offense. And so, um, yeah, the, you, you, whatever was sexy about him, you know, when you brought him in and you you, you paid him, you know, those those hopes are still alive. And so there's that there's that hope still that, that drives you to say, keep a man. I, we, I still believe in this guy, but um, you know, some people live by the sword and die by the sword. Well, Brian, we don't want to take up too much of your time. We could keep you all night uh, if you would, if you let us, <laughs> but uh, we'll let you go. And before we do, we just want to mention, we want to thank you very much for your time. And you know, we know it's been a tough year in 2020, but if, if you can, for everyone listening out there, if you could, make a donation to the pediatric brain tumor foundation. Obviously that'd be something that could help out some people who, you know, really could use it in a very tough time for everybody. Thank so you. Brian, thank you very much. We appreciate it. No more questions about Purdue. No more, <laughs> no more gotcha questions from Levin trying to set you up to make a yeah, headline. He's trying to set me uh, up, I was man. just going to, uh, man, he, he tried to, uh, <laughs> back the semi truck up on my head <laughs> get ready hey, i get gave it. you an out if you wanted it but I, I was gonna ask if i could get a boiler up but i guess i'm not allowed to but boiler up ah you're going to be stretching it now see now I'm, I'm gonna text matt mayoko right now that bryant young says the 49ers should dump jimmy garoppolo get ready for the headline thank you very much brian hey, you got it you guys are doing a great job man thank you for uh, having me on I'm not going to lie. That was a lot of fun. I've been doing this a long time, but it's usually on the other side of the glass, so I don't get to talk to the people that we bring on the shows. That was a thrill for me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, if you did like it, please rate, review, and subscribe. Mention it in the iTunes uh, review that you give us. We'll always appreciate those. And if you're worried that we didn't get to the Washington stuff, I know. But don't worry, we got another podcast this week, so we'll get to that tomorrow for you with Matt Barrows of The Athletic. Kyle Posey from Niners Nation is going to join me as well. So we'll have a full breakdown there for you. We got you covered. Don't worry about it. Enjoy the game, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.